Emanuela Barash Rubenstein is a writer, translator and a scholar in the humanities. Born in Jerusalem after her parents emigrated there from Eastern Europe, Emanuela now lives in Tel Aviv. Her husband, Yona Rubenstein, is a professor at the London School of Economics. Her father was the noted art historian Moshe Barash. Emanuela studied in the Humanities Faculty of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Her PhD is in Comparative Religion and Literature. She was part of the Comparative Religions Graduate Program at Tel Aviv University, and is now part of the Nevsland Center for Jewish Peoplehood Studies at the Interdisciplinary Center, IDC, in Herzliya. Emanuela began her literary writing following the death of her father. Her book, Five Selves, was published by Holland House Books in 2015. It is a collection of five novellas, addressing the issue of Israeli identity, in particular, the generation gap in Israel, coping with death and mourning, capitalistic values of Israeli society and, finally, the dying self. Today she talks to Julia Warren about her latest novel, Delivery, and her creative process. Hello, Emanuela. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. You're most welcome. So how is life post-delivery? <laughs> uh, life post-delivery is, is actually very interesting. Um, I wrote this novel to surface different aspects of having a child. And since it was published, first in Hebrew and now in English, I've, I got many, many uh, emails uh, chats, uh, all sorts of messages in the social networks from women describing past, past experience. And it is, it's been fascinating for me, and I also think it's a very important action. And I would say the reactions are divided into two groups. Most women just, you know, it seems that past experience is a surface thing, and they are recalling things that you know, happened sometimes 10 or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And a small group of women just completely, completely resent the fact that I actually wrote a book about giving birth. <laughs> Why do you need to write about it? You know, it's, it's, to me, it's just, you know, another expression of the very profound oppression of the subject. You know, that people, you know, for different reasons, just do not want to face it. So but it's been very interesting. I read every, each and every, you know, email or message with great interest. And, and, and I also think it's, honestly, I think it's important to, to, to talk about it, to, to bring up the subject. That, is that something to do with that whole mystery of life, perhaps, do you think? Well, it's too deep for pe- some people to explore. Yeah. They feel it's too, too, too massive, too great. Might be the case, you know. To be honest, I... I, I'm not sure I, under, I fully understand why giving birth is uh, repressed so much. And there, there are different, uh, I'm sure we will talk about it, there are different uh, explanations for this. Uh, the main one being the feminist one, okay, Simone de Beauvoir and others that, you know, suggested that society on purpose doesn't want people to, doesn't want women to understand how difficult it is. I'm not sure I know exactly what the answer is. Just something that people do not talk about. Yeah. Where are you at the moment? Because it looks very interesting. 
<laughs> okay, so I'm I have uh, three sons. One of them is in Berkeley, California, and I'm visiting him uh-huh. now. You see, but I gave birth three times, and this happened a long time ago, <laughs> not recently. Uh, but but for years, I've carried the feeling that the you know the way it is, uh, society perceives giving birth, the attitude, you know, is so distorted and unrealistic that you know mm-hmm. I've, I've had this idea about writing this book for for quite some time you know until I finally sat down and, you know and wrote it but it's 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 been there for a while you know this is just a certain segment of life that is is missing is lacking yeah mm-hmm. almost we can say film as well it's very minimum you know the more I explore this the more I realize you know that this is it's, it's just not there if you think about it, it's amazing that our culture <laughs> simply ignores one part of life. I mean, yeah. yes, do you find this to be fairly global? I think so. Yeah. I could not talk about languages that I, you know, that I'm not familiar with, mm-hmm. Far East and so on. But yes, I think it is definitely Western culture. I would say the common reactions that I get is women like. Say I post it on, on you know social network, they would say, "Amazing! I never thought about it. I never mm. thought I could actually stop and think what it means, you know, mm. for a human being to give birth." So, to mm-hmm. me, again, it's another indication that it's it's not simply not there. You think there's material there now for a sequel? <laughs> you mean me? Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting idea, Julia, which I haven't thought about. Yeah. Well, judging by the responses you've had, there might be there might be quite a lot to work with it's on there. It's clear to me that, that I'm, I'm I'm touching a soft spot. Let's put it this way. It's it's very clear. Okay. By the way, the, the novel itself presents different uh, different angles, men and women, you know, old, young, not only the woman that is giving birth. I, I actually hope that, you know, writing this book would some, create, generate some kind of, you know, discussion, some kind of... Um, it's amazing that after so many years of feminism, I mean, you know, we are all... <laughs> Third wave of feminism, and, 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 and this is not, uh, it hasn't been, uh, you know, pointed out, not enough, certainly. Well, do you think it's perhaps because the focus has been more about careers, moving I, forward I, in that sense, perhaps? Absolutely, it could be. I, I don't feel that I, you know, fully have a clear, clear-cut explanation why this happened, you know? You know the different suggestions it has to do with reality, with the religion and Christianity and feminism, I, I don't know. But I do know it's there, you know, it's the, you know, the repression is there, the, 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 it is overlooked, definitely overlooked. So, so we have five selves, your previous right. book, and then you have delivery. Are you currently working on uh, something particular at the moment? So I have a... Two novels in the in the pipeline. Let's oh, say. wonderful! <laughs> so, okay, so <laughs> one of them I've completed. It is called uh, "Intimate Solitude." It is a book about about Israel, about the history of Israel. I know Israel get a lot of attention 
you know, the media, bad and good, but uh, often I feel that uh, somehow a deeper perception of uh, Israeli society is never there or not enough there. This is a novel that begins in 1968, right after the Six-Day War, ends in 2016, so almost today. It, it is focused on the changes within Israeli society, and the main focus is the Israel used to be a very socialist society when Israel was founded, and today it is a super capitalistic I mean, and this transformation has far, far-reaching consequences, you know, on, on politics, on society, on the individual, on interpersonal relations. You know, it is, it is something way beyond the, you know, just political uh, party or, you know. And this is mainly the focus of the books, but it is it follows the history of Israel, and it, uh, it is, I could say it's an historical novel. It is an attempt to provide a, a different perspective of Israel. Not, not better or worse, but uh, hopefully a deeper one, okay? Hopefully a deeper one than just what you hear on the news, you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. occupation, the Arab-Israeli conflict. This is, I'm, you know, trying to, pre- to present a different, a different perspective, or I would say a richer one, okay? So it has different angles. Rather similar approach to delivery, isn't it? You're taking different perspectives of different. Completely perspectives. different. I mean, yeah. de- delivery takes place in Israel, but it has nothing. It, it's a universal theme, and it has, you know, it has nothing to do with the. It could have taken place somewhere else. I think yeah. this intimate solitude is about. It's an historical novel, and it is about Israeli society. It's, it's uh, intimate and solitude. There is a combination of. Two very different things. I mean, it's 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 a transformation from the intimate, a lot of intimate, and ended up with a lot of solitude, as, as it is in other capitalistic world, you know, society. But are you tracing through the novel how you think this evolved into capitalism? Uh, that also coming into it, or it, it has a lot to do with a very change. I mean, and the change was was very gradual and I don't think that at each point people fully understood the implications. I mean, you just change a little bit in your lifestyle, you do not another, you don't understand mm-hmm. that you this is taking a completely different path. To put it very, very roughly, it's uh, very roughly, I mean, maybe oversimplified, <laughs> would be that you move from a place that you really felt, feel, you know, part of the society, you know, uh, feel that everything you do is, I don't want to say for the society because it's not fascist, but, you know, everything it has to, is related somehow to, to the society, to a place where you do everything for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a huge transformation, mm-hmm. but it's very slow and it's very gradual and mm-hmm. people are not always aware that on the way, what are the implications of their choices? That's how I feel about it. By the way, it changed a lot of influence on, on Israeli politics. People are not, I don't think, are fully aware of this. They think about, you know, left and right, of course, and the conflict and the occupation, but I don't think they're fully aware that a lot of this, this has far-reaching con- uh, consequences on politics as well. 
I mean, why certain individual feel part of the right? Why certain individual feel part of the left? It's not always purely ideological. It has to do with other things as well. So is, is that also intergenerational? Do you have several generations? Yes. Yes, so the yes. founders of Israel and then the next generation and then the current contemporary businessmen in Israel were doing mm. extremely well, as they are in truth, but are, you know, they are, they, they act in a completely different uh, social circumstances, social surroundings today. They feel that whatever they do, they do for their own good, as it is in other places. I mean, this is not typical only in Israel, not so much uh, for society. To some, to mm-hmm. some degree, not for society at all. So that was one novel, yeah, and the yeah, other novel? <laughs> the other novel, which I'm, I'm working at now, it's called The Compass Rose. It's completely different. It is a combination of four novellas, and they, they are related to Renaissance thinkers. Okay, so my father was an art historian, majoring in renaissance and <laughs> some kind of closure for me personal closure mm-hmm. and you know renaissance thinkers artists contributed so much to the world as it is today it was just that we are not always aware of this mm-hmm. so it is composed of a, each novella is a, related to one artist and uh, so the first one is, is, is called On Perspective and this is uh, on Giotto the, the, it's just a, a couple of pages about you know his work and then a novella. The other one is called uh, On Time. Uh, sorry, first is on, on Motion, and this is uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Oh. And the third one is On Time, and this is Michelangelo. And the third mm-hmm. one and fourth one is Synthesis. And it's about Raphael. Right. I mean, it's not about this. It's just a couple of words, a couple of pages about his work, and you know, and then a novella, which is just you know, a story, but that somehow illustrate what it means today. You know. Ah, I see. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. It looks. It sounds a bit strange, but yeah, yeah. I hopefully it will be interesting. All right. I think it sounds wonderful. It sounds brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to seeing that in print. So, as we mentioned in the introduction, you already had experience in academic writing, but what differences did you notice when you switched to writing fiction? <laughs> it, it, if uh, any, if any. Oh, yes, yes. It's, it's like, it's like you, you could say it's like a completely different language, you know. It's like, uh, <laughs> it is. Okay, so academic writing, um, the process of writing is... Very much straightforward, I would say. Even simple to a degree. I mean, even the you know if the, the material that you're talking about is complex and you know has different angles, the writing itself is 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 relative, I don't want to say simple, but it, it it's it's very straightforward. You know, there's an argument. You want to support it. It's, the process is relatively. It, it will happen according to what, to according to the plan. I think it's rather rare that people start, in a, you know, like a book in academics in the humanities, and in the middle they change their mind and do something else. No, it's, it's a straightforward. No, it's straightforward. And, and the process itself, not the writing, because the writing is always difficult. But the, you know, the, the decision how to proceed, what to do, is, is yeah, actually relatively simple. I mean. 
Whereas, oh, you know, writing fiction, that's, <laughs> that's a completely, completely different thing. You know, I, when I start a, a fiction book, I, I know it's different from one author to another. For me, I, I have a clear idea what the book would be about. Okay, so like I have a general theme. Uh, I always, always end up in a different place, in a different place. I mean, uh, it's an emotional process. It's, a, it's, very, it's very flexible. It's very fluid, I would say. It often happens, I don't want to say almost, but it often ha- happens to me that I, you know, I have this idea of a character and he, she develops in a different way. I mean, I, <laughs> you wonder if they have a life of their own, you know, but uh, <laughs> I, I start this in one place, but I just feel the characters going another way. And I, uh, what I've learned to do is just, you know, let it go, let the character develop. Wherever he she needs to go, it, it's it's maybe better this way, you know. It's the, but it, it is for me. It is a very very emotional process. It's nothing. By the way, I I you know I my Hebrew is on my my mother tongue. Uh, when I write fiction, I I it has to to be in Hebrew. I translate it later, but I could, there's no way I could write fiction in the in the in English. Whereas when I write academic books, I write them in English. Okay, so it has to do with the fact that it is a very, very emotional process. There's no way I can do it. Not in my mother tongue. Yeah, so well, it is very different. Yeah, I could say they're both in English, but they're like in a different language. Okay? Yes, yeah, both, in both senses. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. How interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, what set your first fiction book in motion? What triggered my fit? I find it really hard to answer this. Okay, so it happened after my father passed away. I was uh, very close to him, and uh, both emotionally and uh, also uh, in terms of, uh, you know, academically. I would say I, I, I used to, you know, ask for his advice, and he would read what I wrote, and we had this, uh, you know, uh, and... Uh, after after he passed away, it was it was a very difficult difficult experience for me. It was very painful, and I I actually remember leaving the hospital. He passed away in the hospital in Jerusalem, and uh, just leaving the hospital and feeling I need to write now. Okay, it's just it was it was just immediate. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. After a couple of days, it was it's really there, but it, but. But it evolved very slowly. So, um, was it always there? You know, I, 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 I don't know. The only thing that I, I could say for sure that it was, you know, in, in terms of time related to to his death. So, uh, I often wonder what he would have thought if, you know, had he read my books. But uh, this is, of course, a left a question left without an answer. But. Uh, yeah, it, it had to do with this, you know, it has to do, it was very painful, and it was some kind of um, shock, I don't know, mm. but but the process of writing has, in a way, I feel I'm better at this, I don't mean that the books that I write are better now, <laughs> no, I mean that my way of, you know, translating my my thoughts and ideas into fiction, I think I've I've improved, slightly improved. I, it doesn't mean that the you know that the book would be better. I just mean about the process. It's a, I think I'm a little bit better, and and what I've learned to do is to to 
let it develop in its own way. Okay, so if I have this idea and it's going somewhere else, okay, that's fine. Whereas when I started, I was very, you know, I was very, you know, worried that, you know, I have this idea and the book and the novel is going and the maybe story is going in a different direction. I've learned to be more, I think, more flexible in this respect. But I often think about it. What exactly made me think about writing just after his death? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I think many people have this kind of reaction. I mean, not necessarily in terms of, uh, you know, turning to art, but uh, would generate uh, some kind of uh, drastic uh, response. They would do something unusual that they haven't done before. I think so. It does happen. It's not unusual. I mean, for me, it was turning to a fiction, but I think it would be true for other people as well. It's not uncommon. I thought that if I closed my eyes, this day would vanish, as if it had never happened. The intense excitement, the hugs, the display of joy, Amir's whispering into the phone, which I overheard from the porch, and an inexplicable anxiety slowly materialising and turning into a physical stress that I couldn't ignore. They would all fade away if I didn't open my eyes. Yesterday evening, at this hour, everything was as usual, a daily routine unfolding as expected. A young couple, newlywed, wanted to bring a child into this world. Everything was progressing normally, according to plan, but something went wrong. I don't know what it was. I find it hard to understand what happened, how this joyous event was transformed into a preposterous burden that I can't push aside. Tell us a little bit more about delivery. Can you say something about Daphne? Who is she? Daphne is a you know, what we would definitely call a successful person. She is a young woman uh, living in Tel Aviv, but she's she's good-looking. She's doing well professionally. She's uh, fairly happily married. Economically, she's she's fine. Uh, it seems that everything in her life is going well. You know, we don't expect, and suddenly, as she becomes pregnant, you know, she realized something is very, very difficult here. Uh, she was previously, well, not fully, but to some degree unaware of how difficult this would be. But suddenly when she comes pregnant, there's, you know, there's a huge problem here. And at first she tries to deny it, but then she realized, you know, that, you know, I, I am truly, truly afraid of this and I don't know how to deal with it. And... When she tries to approach other people, you know, her mother, her friends, I mean, this I could say would definitely reflect my own experience. Uh, certainly when I was in my first pregnancy, people, it's not that they don't understand her, but they are part of this mechanism that doesn't allow her to talk about her feelings. And the only response that she gets is, you'll forget it, it will pass. Once the baby is born, everything would be gone, you know, all these words. And she knows, she feels, and she knows that it's not true. I mean, this is a, you know, huge life event, and it's not going anywhere. Uh, it takes her by surprise, but it, it, in a way, diverts her life. It makes her, the whole experience from becoming pregnant until she's a mother, um, difficult. Difficult. I want to say something, just... <laughs> 
for the of record, course. I'm a mother of three, and I just want to say that <laughs> it just sounds motherhood has been the source of a lot of happiness for me. I mean, I'm not not in no way am I sorry, God forbid, you know, that I have children or the whole the book does not in any way say that you know being a mother is not good, it's not joyful, it doesn't bring happiness, not at all. But this has nothing to do with the fact that giving birth, producing a child can be very painful and difficult. It's like two different things. In no way is it saying, you know, that uh, motherhood is not, uh, could not be a good experience. It can be a very good experience. But it, it is unrelated to the fact that the, the process of giving birth is difficult. It's not the same thing, you know. It's just, it's not. The... So she, yeah, she's fine. She's she's she's. It seems that everything is going for her. She's you know, uh, but suddenly it's there and she's pregnant and she realized you know this is huge fear. This is something that I have to deal with, and then the pregnancy itself and. Uh, um, I take great pride, if I may, Julia. Of course. <laughs> In one chapter of the book, <laughs> really, I mean, as an author, I should never say that, but I, I great, great pride in the in the in the in the chapter that actually describes giving birth. Okay, this, to the best of my knowledge, is uh, my contribution. Okay, so if, if even if you go, well, maybe not Margaret Atwood would be different, but you know, in, just in the very event itself is. I could say almost never described, very, very described, as it is. So I, I take great pride in this uh, specific uh, chapter. <laughs> okay, so th- there's before and after, okay? So it's, then she's given birth, and there's a lot of happiness and joy of the baby, but all the after effects, you know, the emotional effects after giving birth. So she she's a person, she's a, we would call her, a, I don't know, successful, I don't know, successful is the right word, but you know, she's doing well, she's a young woman, she's, everything goes fine in her life, until she finds that she's pregnant. And where does Amir fit into her life? Amir is her husband, isn't he? Yeah, right. So he's, his, okay, so as, as, as feminist as we all want to be, uh, this is, you know, pregnancy giving birth is a completely different experience for men and women. I would say he's a he's a he's a husband is coming from the same you know social environment. He would expect them to have a fairly comfortable life together, and but also for him, you know, once he finds that his wife is pregnant, all sorts of different emotions surface, and he is drifted to you know he's having an affair with another woman because to some degree he too cannot handle this. Okay, emotionally, it is so uh, difficult for him that he is, you know, he's doing, he's having an affair, he's doing all sorts of things, you know, he's uh, experienced sense. But I think for men, it's very different, actually. I mean, if you think about for women, the most the physical part would be, to, would be the main thing. For men, it's, it's more of an uh, emotional thing, you know. My life is going to change. It's never going to be the same. I will be committed in a way that, you know, it's a commitment that will be there forever. So he fits into a life. They seem like a couple that come, you know, from the same place, are going to the same <laughs> together. But this pregnancy thing is a... Uh, no, uh, yeah, in a way. Yeah. yeah. I just want to say that there are, you know, we are talking about the pregnancy, but 
the, the grandparents that uh, experience having a grandchild, uh, first grandchild, and there's a, a couple, young couple, the friends of, of Daphne and Amir who hesitate. You know, the woman doesn't want to become a mother. She doesn't. She wants to remain, remain childless. Uh, so it, it's not all not on the novel. It's about you know just giving birth, but about the whole development and changes that happens in their lives because they are bringing, because they are, you know, pregnant and then having a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The interactions, yeah. The, between them, between the, between the couples, between the couples and the parents, the friends, yes. And, yeah, just, just, just out of curiosity, Daphne and Amir, did they know each other from school or from later on? You say they come from the same place, in a sense. Is, does that also... They do. They they met at the university, but they are they're people that are coming from the same. I don't want to say social class, social place. Okay, <laughs> you know that they're both they they live in they're well educated. They live in the north of Tel Aviv, which is relatively a uh, fluent place. I mean, not super rich, but you know it's a um, comfortable. Yeah, they live a comfortable life. They have the same, you know. We do, we would expect that they have more or less the same kind of friends. They went more or less to the same kind of school. They, they, you could, yeah. I mean, they come from, you know, even if they didn't know each other, they come from the same place. In a way, I made it this way. I created it this way because they, to emphasize the emotional impact of becoming pregnant, having a child, I did not want to, you know, confuse it or mix it with the social, you know, tensions or anything else. No, they see. It seems like life is comfortable, you know, but yeah. but it isn't. Now, as characters, would you say they are in tune with each other? I definitely think that until yeah. they were. After? No, I don't think so. I'm not. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Something deep and profound happened to him, to her. Uh, that doesn't mean they're not going to stay together, but they, it's different. It's different. There's something very profound that happened to the both of them D- in, in, in different ways. After the pregnancy, there's before the pregnancy and after the pregnancy in their relationships. Definitely, the relationship. Sorry. Yeah. The bubble contracts again, shrinking into itself. Amir is glancing at me from across the room, asking me how I'm feeling. When I tell him that the contractions have begun, but that it is too soon to go to the hospital, his eyes sparkle. Night birds spring up with a cry, a bending branch is moaning, the wind is weeping, and a roaring thunderclap is heard from afar. The fear which I always knew existed turns into a petrifying horror. The understanding that a living creature is about to tear his way out of my body nearly makes me faint. There's another character that I... I I really like, if I'm, if I may. <laughs> yes, please okay, do. Okay, so there's Abigail. I invested a lot of thought and emotions and uh, uh, love, if I may, in, in creating this person. This is the, the the younger people that you know basically want. She wants to remain childless. Doesn't want to have. Not everyone fits into this social framework of having children, having family, and, and she is very, very individualistic, and she's very creative, 
She doesn't just follow, you know, what other people do. I, I really like this character. <laughs> you know, she did, she doesn't want to become a mother. You know, she does not accept. Uh, uh, she suffers for this. Okay, I have often seen this. Uh, young women, uh, or not even actually not even young women, women that do not want to have children. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, in my view, a person can have a full and rich and satisfactory life uh, without having a child. This is, you know, but society is very, very critical with these women. Very critical, and she constantly has to fend off, you know, people that would say, why, why did you want children? Oh, you're not a full person. And this is, for me, also an important part of the novel is just to deal with this and to show uh, I'm very sympathetic of her, okay? Uh, I think she has, she's entitled to have any life she chooses to have, and she definitely can have full and rich and, you know, happy life without becoming a mother, okay? And, but, but, I think this it is especially difficult for women. Uh, I think it would be easier for men to say that he doesn't want children than it is for a woman, uh, because somehow the the criticism is, you know, there's a soft spot of the, you know, self perception or, and people always point at this. And she is going through a very very difficult times. The end is happy. I can say that. Just because of the fact that she chooses not to have children. This would be the character you empathize with the most, perhaps, of all of the characters. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, yes. Even though I am, as I've said, I'm a mother. I'm, 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 I'm a very happy mother, but uh, in, in <laughs> many ways. But no, but yes, I, 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 it would be the character that I sympathize most. Definitely. It would be. I really, really like her, you know individualistic spirit and the fact that you know that she has she wants a certain thing in life and she that that's what she's going to do even though it's not an easy path you know people are there to offend her and tell her that it's wrong and you know she's worthless if she doesn't have children and every woman should have children and so on and no she insists you know that's and yeah definitely she sticks yeah with her choice and I think it would be my character, my my the characters that I, I especially like her. Yeah, especially like her. And she's very creative in terms of work. You know, she's a, yeah. is she a designer? She's an interior designer, doing extremely well. Okay, she is. She's doing very well. She's very successful. And then uh, after, because of this choice not to have the children, she's going in. Through a uh, personal crisis, she comes to London to just, you know, go away from. She's a, sitting in London, just in a coffee shop, not moving and thinking, you know, what's wrong with her life. And suddenly she has this idea that she would, she is going to design a different apartment. You know, everyone has this modern design. Everyone, you know, wants. She's going to design an old-fashioned apartment. Uh, she has this idea that someone is willing to, to you know, to have this, and she's doing extremely well. She's getting a prize from international uh, designing uh, competition. Okay, she's she's very creative. She's just a, truly a very creative person, constantly looking for other ways to to design apartments. Already after the birth, full of excitement, Rebecca and I held hands for a long time. She normally sleeps in the bedroom 
I fall asleep in what used to be Amir's room. But then, elated and exhausted, we went together to the bedroom and fell asleep in each other's arms. Well, we now sleep together again. After the initial excitement of the delivery subsided, a new passion emerged. Not restored youth, but on the contrary, a revived old age. A new encounter with our aging bodies. Some writers have characters living in their imagination, and others live in what they know. Where do your characters live? Do they do they bounce out of your imagination? They're fully formed, or do you find you're having to build them? I build them. No character is just one specific person that I know. None. Not in this book, not in the other book. There is no one person that I know and I just describe. None. Uh, I develop all of them. They live in my memory, in, in my imagination, and I develop them. Definitely. I would definitely say this true. I construct them very slowly. Is there any particular soundtrack that you would listen to while writing? I have developed a, you know, a strange habit. Okay, so <laughs> I, I sometimes listen to Buddhist uh, music while I'm uh, writing. I found it on, on the web. It's not that I'm an expert. It's just that there's something that is, it's both relaxing and and it's very foreign, you know, it's not, I don't understand the word, I don't understand, it's just that I listen to music that is completely, completely different from my world. I've tried to listen to classical music, but it doesn't, it, it's not the same. Buddhist music is like transforming me to a different world, to a different place, that maybe only in this place it would be, it's easier for me to, you know, let go, let the character grow and develop. In my imagination, as you've said, I, it's, I just happened to do it once. I felt it was so fruitful in a way. I mean, it's just the, the songs are very, very long. They would be like half an hour or something like this. And they, they, it's just very good. You know, it's very good. I, and it's just there in the background. And it's, you know, and I, I just, I don't understand the word. But yes, in a way, it is inspiring. I'm not sure I know exactly why, but it, but it is. It's, uh, yeah. It helps you to focus, perhaps, as well. Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. I, as I said, I, know, I, I think it has to do with the fact that it's something from a completely different world. So uh, I think that's, that's, uh, that's the answer. Indeed. Emanuela, thank you very much for your time and for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. You're most welcome. <laughs> And we close with a couple of writers' shout-outs from Holland House Books. Last month, South African author Karen Jennings was longlisted for the Booker Prize with her title, An Island. The only small press published novel to reach the Booker longlist this year. Described in The Guardian as a taut, tenebrous novel, and is a gripping, terrifying and unforgettable story by Ella Kaboma, it tells of Samuel, a lighthouse keeper, and the stranded refugee he discovers on his island. In the words of the Booker Prize judges it is, a moving, transfixing novel of loss, 
political upheaval, history, identity, all rendered in majestic and extraordinary prose. In response to the difficulties faced by African authors to get their work into print, Holland House Books, Caravan Press and Karen Jennings have set up a writing competition, called the Island Prize, to give writers from the continent of Africa a chance to showcase their work to a wider audience, with the possibility of feedback, mentoring, meeting with a potential agent and publication, both in the UK and South Africa. Full details can be found on the Holland House website at www.hhousebooks.com. This was the Holland House podcast and you have been listening to Emanuela Barash Rubenstein in conversation with Julia Warren.